Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Amen. <laughs> my name's Adrian, but my wife's name is Lisa. Uh, she's five foot four, comes up about right here. She has blonde hair and blue eyes, and she is a righteous fox. Cha-ching. Now, in case you don't know what that means, that means my wife is godly and beautiful. She's off the heat. If she's, you don't know what that means. She's, she's all out in a bucket of chicken. She's the best thing since sliced bread and before that was unsliced bread. I just think men should brag about their wives. I wasn't going to do that for the service. I haven't told the men this morning. Man, how many of you got the men in there? How many of you guys were in there this morning when I did the little practice thing? Okay, listen, I think we need to do it again. I'm tired of Christian men being sissies for Christ. I think we need to be men. You know what I'm saying? I think it's about to check out men. Not some candy face thing. So here's what we're going to do real quick. I just think men should brag about their wives. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? No, the wives, you really don't understand. But I'm, the men are going to show, we're going to show you guys. That's what I want. I want all the married men to stand up. Take your time. Hurry up. Let's go. All the married men to stand up. Take your time. Hurry up. Let's go. Hurry up. Take your time. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to give you five seconds. Now, some of the guys have already, by the way, this morning, guys, when you did it in the men's breakfast thing, that was a, um, a, um, embarrassingly weak. <laughs> Come on, guys. You, got, you can be loud. You're not that quiet at a football game. If, if the Tigers are playing, I don't know who's that. Uh, <laughs> I was about to make a joke, but I better not. Okay, so. The Bible commands me to love Clemson, so I love him. So, uh, so watch it now. So uh, I w here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you five seconds to think about what you're going to say. Then I'm going to give you ten seconds to brag about your wives out loud all at the same time. Come on. Show these young guys. We're some, this kid right here, who, weren't you the one who did the speaking this morning? Stand up for me, young man. Just uh, all you guys, show him what it's like to love. When he gets married 1,500 years from now. He needs to be a man. Uh, I need someone with a big arm. Jack, can you just give me a little pop? Just give me a God. It's possible to be a man and love your wife. It's not some sissy face thing. Okay, you can sit down now, young man. 1,500 years from now, you'll be doing this. Okay, so when I say go, you got 10 seconds to brag about your wives out loud all at the same time. Whoever's the loudest gets a free book off my table in the back. You got it? On your marks. Come on. Come on. Get set. Go. Keep going. Turn it up. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. All right. Good job, gentlemen. You can sit down. You can sit down. <laughs> once, once again, that was horrible. <laughs> Except for you. Where's the Except for you. You get a free book. Yes. Yes. Beautiful. I like that. That was good. That's good. All right. This guy, uh, this guy, what we're going to be studying, we're going to be studying Mark 6, so get your Bibles out, we're going to be in Mark 6, we're also going to be in John 6 this morning, that little cross-reference from Mark 6. Uh, 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 I know you guys are going through the, the book of Mark right now, what's the, what's the name of the study? Just Mark, you're going to call it the book of, okay, I'm going to call it Mark, okay, all right. But I, I came across this little poem, a little writing thing, there was an African pastor who had, uh, who had uh, been leading a lot of the soldiers to Christ. Uh, during this coup that they had uprising and whatnot. And so the soldiers stopped fighting when they got saved. And so other soldiers barricaded this guy in his home. He set his nephew out the window, and his nephew ran into the woods, and his life was spared. But they burned this guy alive in his home. Uh, the next day, he was a pastor of a church in Africa. And next day, they went into his house and found underneath his bed a bowl, a metal bowl over top of a wet towel over top of his Bible. 
And he was protecting his Bible from the fire. He was singing praise songs. I even think, where's the song? song I think he was singing his name is wonderful and how great thou art. I just gave me a chill through my spine. Now, that was the songs he was singing loud, loud as he was dying from the fire. Uh, underneath, he wanted to protect his Bible. And handwritten in his Bible was this little thing right here. It's called My Commitment as a Christian. It was handwritten in his Bible. Uh, really, the whole message this morning is based on this, as far as I'm concerned. The deity of Christ, the, the godhood or the godness of Christ is on trial in Mark chapter 6. It's on trial. And so you guys are going to see this, how the deity of Christ is really the, the key to the whole chapter, as far as I'm concerned, is the deity of Christ. This little thing here summarizes the whole thing for me. It says, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, labor by power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal heaven, my way rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder the pull of popularity, or meander in a maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. Until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the cause of Christ, I must go till he comes. Preach till all know, work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, I want my banner to be clear. That's my boy. I'm a disciple of his. That's the invitation for, that's actually where we're headed today. <laughs> Good luck. How y'all doing? Okay, so what we're going to do right now is I'm going to summarize Mark 6 real quick. Just in the first few minutes, we're going to summarize because the whole chapter is talking about, really is talking about the deity of Christ. We have the first six verses, one through six of uh, Mark chapter six, where, where Jesus goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and he could do no miracles in Nazareth. A little interesting thing there. The prophet is not honored in his hometown. I was in Nazareth a couple years ago when I went through Israel, changed my life. Jack, when I saw Israel, it changed everything. I've read the Bible through, uh, I guess right now I'm on my... 39th time of reading the Bible through, and when I went to Israel and saw the Bible, <laughs> everything exploded in my mind. Nazareth is just this little podunk little town is all it was. It was, a, it was a 20 miles southwest of our south, southwest of uh, Capernaum, which where the mall would have been in Capernaum, where they could go shopping and whatnot. I'm kidding about the mall, but keep, stay focused. Um, Nazareth just a small, and he was amazed, Jesus was amazed that he could do no miracles there. There's only two times in the entire Bible, by the way, a little side note here, two times in the entire Bible where Jesus was amazed. The one time is right here in Mark 6 where he was amazed he could do no miracles because they, they didn't believe in him because he grew up there. They saw him, you know, picking his nose or what stuff like that. Did I say that out loud? But I'm just saying. Um, um, but the other time he was amazed was in Luke chapter 7 when the centurion had great faith. And he said, just say that my servant's healed and he'll be healed because I'm a man of, of, of authority, the, the centurion said. And I know you're a man of authority. And Jesus looked at him and was amazed. So there's two, two different ways that you can amaze Jesus, by your lack of faith or by your great faith. You are going to amaze him today with one of those two. Okay, let's keep going. That's Mark chapter uh, 6, verses 1 through 6. Verses 7 through 13, he sends out the 12 with great power. 
and gave some power to, to cast out demons and to do a lot of healing and, and a lot of great things happen, great powerful things. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 12, when he, this cross reference here, that he saw Satan fall like, like lightning. And that was probably referring to the great power that was coming out there. And maybe even he actually saw it when it happened back in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. Then we have Mark chapter uh, 6, verses 14 through 29, a very sad pr- parenthetical story right there in the middle of Mark 6 where it talks about the death of John the Baptist. Now, this is Jesus' friend, a very, very, very close friend. It's his first cousin. They're six months apart. You remember when Elizabeth showed up, when Mary came to Elizabeth's house, and, and, and John was inside of Elizabeth for six months along, and John leapt for joy when Mary showed up, and, and, and uh, they were great friends. They grew up together. Jesus was crushed when he lost his friend. Like, I remember how the pain I felt when I lost my mom a few years ago. My brother passed away a month before that, and my dad got cancer, and we put down a couple dogs, and my, my best friend died from a cancer, and all of this happened within months of each other, and it was a very painful, very, very, very painful time of my life. My tears were my food, and this is Jesus here. He's, uh, his heart is broken here in Mark chapter 6 at the, at the death of his, uh, one of his closest and maybe one of his best friends. Uh, John the Baptist. Then it says uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's going to be a great part of what we're going to talk about. We're going to refer to it here, but we're also going to go to John chapter 6. And then Jesus walks on water. And if you do the cross-referencing properly, this is the same one where Peter walks on water also. It's the same exact time when Peter walks on the water. I I actually have a wonder in my mind. I wonder if if Peter was not the only one out there, if the other disciples went with him, how much longer they would have stayed. Because I think we need community. And community, when you're doing something crazy for the Lord, community helps you stay out there a little longer. That's just a thought on that. But if you got your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter, uh, John chapter 6 now. We're going to do the cross-reference, if you don't mind, Pastor. If it's okay, I want to give you permission to John chapter 6. <laughs> how you doing? What was he going to say? Okay, appreciate that. So John chapter 6 is a very interesting passage. And it's, all, it's a cross-reference for Mark 6 anyway, so you'll see a bunch of the stuff in there anyways. But it's very interesting what happens in John 6. Jesus is put on trial. A great number of people in chapter 6, verse 2 are following Jesus because of the miracles he had done on the sick. So they, they were following Jesus because of the fireworks. I mean, street funeral procession is going on, and they hire professional mourners to go out in front screaming and hollering, and, and they're professionally mourning. They hired these people so that the person would be greeted with properly. parades back in the Bible day. There's a funeral procession and there's a wedding procession and both of them are still going on today. I saw a wedding procession when I was over there and it was a big deal, a big parade there. And, and all these things are going on there and Jesus sees this funeral procession and sees a, a guy who's dead on a mat and his, his, his mom is there. She's a widow lady so she lost her husband and that was her only son. So she is viewed as a despicable person in that society. She lost everything. Jesus sees this boy on a mat, walks up to him and heals him, brings him back from the dead. The kid sits up and says, what's going on? Anybody got some food? I'm kind of hungry. The professional mourners are going, wah! And they turn around and scream. And, look at and everyone starts to follow Jesus because of the miracles he's doing. The great fireworks, like you remember, remember when the guy, the, the guy was put down on a mat in the room that was full, of the, in, in the Greek it talks about how the room was full and the windows were slammed packed. The wind, on the outside of the windows, they were looking in, there was no room in there, and they went down through the roof, and, and everyone's leaning forward and wanted to hear what Jesus said. He says, your sins are forgiven you. 
And they, the Pharisees are muttering in their hearts, how can he say your sins are forgiven? You only God can forgive sins. To show that Jesus is God, he says, to show you that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, I say take up your mat, which is easier, take up your mat and walk or to forgive sins. I say do this. The guy, he straightens out his right hand for the first time in his life probably. Then his left hand, and then his right arm, and his left, and he stands up and goes, and people are just going, they walked out of there marveling at the power of God. So that's what's going on in John chapter 6. People are following Jesus because of the miracles they had done. Everyone's going, I want to see some of these miracles. This, they're, at a, they're at a distant area there, a long journey from where they can get something to eat. The disciples say, send them home. They're tired. Uh, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. If we had eight months' wages, 200 denarii, a denarii was a day's wage. So 200 days would be about eight months' wages, eight months of working time. If we had eight months' wages, we wouldn't have enough to maybe have a bite, Philip says. Uh, Andrew, always bringing people to Jesus, brings this little boy, brings five loaves and two fish. What is that going to do for feeding 5,000? Now, 5,000 men plus some women and children, just about every man would have been married and have a couple kids, so it's maybe 15,000, 20,000 people that we don't know. I've, I've seen different numbers of the theologians. So Jesus says to them, he says to them, because listen, he knows what's going to happen. See, the whole point of this message is the next day after the, chapter 6. It's the next day after Mark 6. That's the whole point of this message. So Jesus is setting them up. And he says, you give him something to eat. Takes this little boy, has five loaves and two fish. The boy doesn't have much to give. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much you have to give the Lord, by the way. It's a little side note, a little tangent. I live my life in tangents. Doesn't matter how much you give. Just give whatever you have, and he'll feed the multitudes with you. So he takes this little, the, the five loaves and two fish. This is one of the times where I wish I could have been there to listen to the blessing. Isn't it interesting how we have blessings before our food? And many of us do memorize blessings over and over again. Don't do that. Come up with something fresh and new, would you? Come on. So I wish I could have heard this blessing. Lord, take this bread, he breaks it, and he hands it out. And he says the blessing there, hands it out to his disciples. Now, this work gets interesting. Am I allowed to? Is this live streaming here? You guys are going to miss. I'm going <laughs> to, I have to stay on the picture. Okay, picture me walking through the crowd now. Jesus hands the disciples the food and says, pass it out and pick up all the leftovers. Thomas, who's my, my middle name is Thomas, one of my heroes of the gospel. One of my, he got the furthest with the gospel all the way to southwest India. Thomas is my hero, but he's a skeptic. He's a doubting guy. Thomas probably thought, leftovers? There's five loaves and two fish and there's 20,000 people here. How's there going to be any leftovers? So while Thomas is passing the bread out, it's multiplying right in front of his face. So Thomas says, after the bread's all the way out, uh, guy in the back corner back here, gentleman in the back corner with the coat jacket on. I can't see who it is. My eyes are blurry. Can you, can you call out your name? James. James. It's in the Bible. James. <laughs> James. Perfect. He was probably there too. Okay, so watch this now. Your cousin, I'm just saying your cousin. Okay, so James, it gets all, so Thomas is in charge of, like, if there's 20,000 people, 15,000 people, he's in charge of 12, he's ushering for 1,200 people. And he's passing the bread out. And he gets all the way back to James. James in the back, takes his bread. Jesus knew exactly how much food to make. He knew exactly how much to create. He knew about the people who were on the Atkins diet. No bread for me, just the fish. He knew about the protein diet, guys. He knew about the, the people who were concerned about the little, just a little bit for me. He knew about the guys who, like myself, who believe in buffet in their body. Because the Bible says to buffet your body, right? <laughs> I 
Yeah, why did they give you plates on, on a buffet line? Just give me a couple forks. Come on in. I know COVID, you can't do that. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I believe in buffet in my body. See, he knew the people who'd be eating a bunch of fish and a bunch of bread. And, and the ladies who'd say, no, no, just a little bit for me. So he, he knew how much to make so that he would have exactly, watch this, Thomas starts passing one basket around his 1,200 people. And all the leftovers are thrown in that one basket. So Thomas goes all the way back there from James. Okay, picture 1,200 people in here. All the way back to the, say your name again really loud for me. James. James. I like the way you said that. So watch it. All the way back there, James, Thomas has his basket full of bread right up next to his chest. All walking all the way up to the front, probably thinking, I bet none of the other guys have this much left over. And he's all excited and fired up. And he takes up the basket and lays it down at the feet of Christ. And he sees how many other baskets full. 11 other baskets full, 12 baskets. Jesus knew exactly how much to make so that each disciple would have a full basket. <laughs> he knew exactly how much to make to have exactly 12 baskets left over. <laughs> it's so awesome. I love reading between the lines in the Bible. It is not some dead book. It is alive. Okay, so watch, so watch. So then uh, 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 there, the reason why, now watch this. I want to tell you the end of the story so quickly, but I have to set it up because you're not going to get like I get it. I'm, I'm looking at them holding the basket because Jesus knew the next day they're going to be challenged harder than they've ever been challenged in their entire life. Ever. I've preached my entire life. Challenge. No, no, no. I should, Lord, I'm sorry. The Spirit of God is getting ready to challenge us this morning harder than we've ever been challenged in our entire life. Ever, 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 ever. Nothing compares to what happens right here the next day. Nothing compares to it in all the days of Scripture. As a matter of fact, someone said this morning that the word disciple changed. Who was it that said this morning? It's disciple changed to apostle. Actually, what happens this morning in this message here is the word disciple changes in definition. Before this day, before this day, the word disciple is the Greek word mathetes, which means perpetual follower or student. So there's people who are following Jesus because the miracles they had done are called disciples. Because they're following Jesus because of the miracles, free food. They, they're, no, no, they're following him now because of the, the miracles and the fireworks and whatnot. The name disciple is going to change from this point on, from chapter 6 on. The word disciple means Christian in the Bible every time it's used. It doesn't mean Christian before now. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, many years later. So the word Christian was a derogatory term making fun of them. These guys are slaves to, to Christ, just like we have Caesarean slaves. Caesareans are slaves of Caesar. They have rings in their nose, and they walk around acting like they're all holy and whatnot. They're Christians, and it was an insulting term. So the disciples were first called, disciples was the term for, for someone who's actually born again, saved by God. Before this chapter, it didn't mean that. And it's about to change right here in front of us. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then he, he lets the disciples go across the Sea of Galilee there. Over to, you can see Capernaum pretty quickly. Or Genesare, it was right next to it. They're about just a few miles apart from each other. I could see it when I was on the lake. I could see it pretty clearly. A city on a hill cannot be hid. Jesus said that about Capernaum. You can see the hill. I could see the city. It was lit up. It was pretty easy for me to see. So um, they get across. Jesus goes. They, he sends his disciples across the boat. On, on some boats across the lake. Jesus goes up on a hill there. I saw the hill. I went up on top of the hill. He went up on a hill to pray. During the night, Jesus is walking on water that night. 
the same one where Peter walks on the water. The disciples see it again. Again, they're greatly encouraged. Why? Because the next day, they're going to be challenged harder than they've ever been challenged in their entire lives. Okay, so now we pick it up in John chapter 6, verse 24. All right, turn to John chapter 6, verse 20, 22, 24. Go to 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, see, the, they, he fed the 5,000, 20,000 people. He fed them there. When they saw Jesus was not there, <coughs> they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Because they could see across the sea there the next day, Jesus and his disciples, because they didn't know Jesus walked on the water. They didn't know how he got across because all the boats were still there. How did he get there? So they got their boats and went after Jesus across the Sea of Galilee there. It's not that big of a sea. And they went across there to find him there. When they found him on the other side, verse 25, when they found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus said, answer, truly, truly, you're seeking me, not because you saw miraculous signs. Now, if you remember verse 2 of John 6 says they were following him because of the miracles he had done. Now, John chapter 6, verse 26 says, you're not following me because of the miracles that I've done, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're following me because of free food. Free food. Now, I've been doing youth ministry for 30 plus years now. I, I am a youth of exit, but because I spilled some pain in my hair, I've been speaking more to adults and, you know, doing church revivals and doing a bunch of that stuff too because I'm older. I'm older than dirt. Uh, just after I was born, dirt was invented. So I'm just saying, uh, my back hurts. My back just started hurting just now. I, I, I'm what's called a Q-tip. You know what a Q-tip is? A little whitehead person. So I, that's what I am. And I understand that. I know I'm getting old. I don't care. Shut up. So my, so, so my point here is that uh, uh, I've been speaking to youth a lot. I was told if I have pizza for a youth group, a youth meeting, pizza, if you feed them, they will come. Free food, food, food. Pe people will come out. Food is very important to me. I'm not saying it's not. So if you feed the church, if you feed, covered dish dinners are the greatest idea on the planet across the millennia. I'll say this right now. And as a preacher, as a guest speaker, they always want me to eat first. I say, no, 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 no. Shh, no, absolutely. I say, okay. I say, I'll go, I'll eat first. And then when everyone's done through the line, I'm done with my first meal. So I go back through and pretend like it's my first meal. And covered dish dinners are great because of sin, because everyone wants to compete with each other, and they're compared. People make the best dishes on the planet. Covered dish dinners are from God. Now, listen, I would come if it was a covered dish dinner. And that's why people would follow Jesus, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's what Jesus said right there. Verse 27, Jesus said, Do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. What are you going to do to prove to that you're the one he sent? Our forefathers ate manna. You remember the manna? So everyone said, everyone shut up. Jesus, I gave you some bread, some more bread. He made bread. So let's do it again. Our forefathers ate manna. As it is written, he gave them manna from heaven to eat. Jesus said six words here. Listen, we're about to have a riot. In the Greek, I'll explain it to you in the Greek, the words that you're about to hear in a few sentences here, there was a riot that broke out. Jesus said six words, though. And these six words, everyone went, are you kidding me? And they got mad at him. And they got really mad at him. So 20,000 plus the people who are on the other side of the lake in Capernaum, so there might be as many as 25,000 here, don't know. Let's just keep it to 15 to 20,000 kind of thing. 
just because we're conservative. I know I'm an evangelist, just relax. The numbers will try to keep them down. So, so watch this now. So Jesus says to them, uh, they, they said, what must we do to do the works that God required? Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. They said, what are you going to do to prove to us that you're the one who sent? Our forefathers ate manna. Are you going to give us manna? Jesus said, it is not, the, it is not your forefathers who gave you manna, but it is my father who gives manna. And my bread is the bread of, the, of life, which gives life to the world. I am, they said, sir, from now on, give us that bread. He said six words, I am the bread of life. Six words. And they said, what? In other words, Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna. I'm that bread that's given to the life of the world. For the world. For the world. I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. I'm the Messiah. You know how we know he said I'm the Messiah there? Because their response was, is this not Jesus whose father and mother we know? How can he say he came down from heaven? We know. See, Jesus was raised in Nazareth, just right up the road there for a piece. They didn't know that he was born of a virgin down about 60 miles due south from there in Bethlehem, an obscure place. That, that great decree took, took, him, uh, took his, his mom out of uh, Nazareth and took him down to Bethlehem to, to, because of the census. And he was born in relative obscurity down there as through, through a virgin. They didn't know about that. There's some, some, some skeptics who may have said something about it throughout time. We weren't born of illegitimate children, things like that. We said in the scripture. But they said, is this not Jesus, whose father and mother we know? How, we know his mom and dad. He can't be the Messiah. We're not supposed to know his mom and dad if he's the Messiah. That's what they were saying. He can't be Messiah. But Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And then he goes through some amazingly deep theology here. Uh, verse 41. Look at verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say I came down from heaven? Jesus answered him, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. We have some amazing theology in the next few verses. We're not going to get into that this morning, but some amazing, makes my mouth water theology. I love theology, theology. <laughs> I love this stuff. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the bread, the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the world, for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. Then the Jews began to dispute among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The word dispute among them literally means came to blows. That's what the word means. It means when he said, Eat my flesh. I remember Lou Holtz interrupted me right there when I was teaching this to the, to the coaches one morning. He said, is that cannibalism? See, the early church was, was accused of cannibalism here because of what Jesus said. No, no, not cannibalism. We'll see that later. He said, well, does this have anything to do with communion? Because he was a Catholic guy and believed that communion was a transubstantiation, which literally means became the body and the blood of Christ, literally the body and blood of Christ. I said, no, no, it has nothing to do with that because that's not set up. That communion is not set up for another year and a half. He said, oh, okay, that makes sense. <clears throat> so it has nothing to do with communion. It has nothing to do with literally eating the flesh. But they started fighting. He said, eat my flesh. And the people started punching each other and a riot broke out. Similar to some of the stuff you've seen on TV in this past year. Not just recently, but all through the past year. A riot broke out. It was devastating. See, one time I was preaching in uh, New Mexico, 
And uh, I got done, to the, done with the message and had an invitation. And nobody moved. <laughs> and all of my preaching career, I've never seen, I hate to say this, sorry, I've never seen, I'm an evangelist. I've never seen no one move in my entire career. Nobody moved. So I thought maybe I was speaking too fast. How many of you guys think I speak too fast? Raise your hand if you think. Thank you. Thank you. The buses will wait. I see that hand. I'll slow down. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get it in. Okay, so watch this now. I forgot what I was saying. Squirrel, something, something just ran by. Okay. Um, 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 um. Okay. It, after I said the invitation a second time, a guy from the middle section, right up close, big wooden church, big, huge, big, massive, you know, 2,500 people slammed in there. Guy stands up in the middle of the front and screams at me at the top of his lungs, you're a clown! <laughs> Sir? You're a clown! You don't know how to preach! You're a clown! I went, Oh, dear. I said, uh, sir, if I've offended you by my style of preaching, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But if I've offended you by the word of God, I praise God for that. Sorry, I'm a little bit of a prophet in me, so sorry. The guy says, well, come on, sweetheart. Grabs his wife, says, we're never coming back to this church again. Walks out the church, slams the back door. I'm going, oh, dear. I didn't know if the people were going to rush the stage or not. I'm kind of big, so I'm not really that worried. So I just stood there. And in the back left corner, an elderly woman stands up. Now, I don't mind rebuking a guy. I'll rebuke a guy all day long. I'll punch a guy in the face, but uh, lovingly. Um, <laughs> the Bible says to be slow, lay hands on. I'll do it slow. You know what I'm saying? So um, appreciate you laughing at that. That's good. Bible humor. Okay, so, so I... Uh, I'm not going to rebuke a lady, though. I'll never rebuke a woman. I, a woman could beat the fire out of me. I ain't going to defend myself. I don't care. But uh, 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 she stands up and says, have we gotten this far from Jesus? And I went, huh? And she takes her walker out. <coughs> clack, 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 clack. You can hear it. Clack, 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 clack. Because it's wooden church. Everything's echoing. She starts walking out of the front. <laughs> All the way down, she's weeping screaming at the top of her lungs, Jesus, this is my fault. This is my fault. I did this here. Go, go, go. Comes all the way down the front. I'm starting to cry now. I can't believe this hit me like this. It was a long time ago. She takes her walker and throws it, and it goes, wah, bah, wah, bah, bah, and whacks the wooden wall over and leaves a mark. I paint houses on the side. I can fix that. So what happened? So amazing how you think these things when you're preaching. <laughs> Squirrel. Okay, so... Um, so she gets on her knees, and she, I see her screaming out in pain because her knees are hurting. And she says, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I start praying, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. All of a sudden I hear, I look up, and every person in the church is at the front. And all the way back, and all, every, no one's seated. The pastor comes up on stage, and he's weeping. He introduced me this way. He said, young man, I was a young man, then just relax. He said, young man, I don't know how you got here in my church. I'm sitting right over here. Jackie's introducing me. You probably had some stories like this too. I don't know how you got in my church. But you be careful what you say in my pulpit. This is my pulpit. Don't you say in my pulpit something that's not right from the Bible. I don't, who are you? 
All right, come on up here and preach. That was my intro. You know what that is for me, though? It's throwing gasoline on a far. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what a far is either. Sorry, I was raised in the north. So watch this now. So, so I walk up, I say, and I go crazy just blowing up and whatnot. And uh, the, the, the pastor comes up on stage weeping. He says, the Lord rebuked me for how I introduced you. This is not my pulpit. This is, this is his pulpit. And you can come preach here anytime you like. And the whole church jumps up and starts going, Rah! I'm going, what in the world? <laughs> What's going on here? I don't know. I've seen some crazy things in my life. But I've never seen a riot break out from the words that I spoke. Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, eat my flesh, and a riot breaks out. Now, you think if it's a riot breaking out, he'll calm everybody down with the next verse. He said, well, let me explain myself. Let me explain myself. That's not what he does. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Jesus is so awesome. I can't wait to ask him about this one. He's kind of, now be careful how you say this. He's kind of like a, like, a, like a little brat here. Am I allowed to say that out loud? I get my personality from him. Please tell my wife that for me, would you? Okay, so, so Jesus says in verse 53, Jesus said to them after the fight breaks out, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in it. So he adds drink his blood to it. <laughs> Look at the next line. Maybe he'll sell him down the next line. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks, on my, drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So he says it again. Look at the next verse. Uh, my flesh is true food and my blood is real drink. Uh, look at the next verse. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Look at the next verse. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He says it seven times. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eat my, he says it seven times after it starts a fight. <laughs> now, what do we know about this verse? We know verse, uh, by the way, John 6 is the, one of the longest chapters. It is the longest chapter in John on purpose, I think, for a certain reason. When his disciples heard it in verse 60, his disciples are the people who are following him because of the free food. Where disciple changes right here. They heard it and said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So what you're getting ready to hear here is the culmination of Mark 6. This is the culmination of it right here. Oh, I'm so glad to teach you this. This is it right here. And by the way, this will be the most challenging thing you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> One of two things is going to happen here. Either you will respond to it or not respond to it. Verse 60, it says, his disciples said this is a hard teaching. So we know it's a hard teaching. We know verse 63, how we know it's not literally take a piece of his arm and eat his flesh like a cannibalism. He says, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So we know it's a spiritual meaning. We don't know exactly yet what it is until verse 63 is told. 63 says there's spiritual meaning. So what did Jesus mean when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And he is saying it this morning to you. Online, he's saying it to you. What does it mean, eat my flesh and drink my blood? What does he mean? Jesus means that he must be more important to you than air. More important to you than food. More important to you than drink. 
than your job, than your family. As a matter of fact, it says in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must hate his father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife. Yes, even his own life, or he can't be my disciple. That does he literally mean hate there. Da, da, da. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 explains a little further for us. If you love them more than me, you can't be my disciple. So the love I have for my wife is amazing. I love, I don't care. I don't care if you guys are offended by me saying it. I, I've had churches say to me they're offended by it. I couldn't stick it, care less. I love my wife, but the love I have for Jesus is so much greater that you could compare this one to hatred. That's what Jesus says there, even though I love my wife more than anything else on the planet. That's what Jesus is saying there. So Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, which means to love him with all that you have. Why? Because he's God. The deity of Christ is what's on trial here. In other words, he's saying, I'm God. That's all he's saying here. Eat my flesh means I'm God. I'm Messiah. That's what he says here. And then we have what I would consider to be one of the most horrible verses in the entire Bible. Let me just say this out loud. One of the most horrible verses in the entire Bible. John chapter 6, verse 66. I think the author, I mean, I think the people who put the verse numbers in, it's just a theory. It's, I've got an elbow, I'm allowed to have a theory. I think they did this on purpose. It is the most horrible verse in the Bible. John 666. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, in, in, in the book of John. Sorry, not in the Bible. Psalm 118, I think it is. It's the longest chapter in John. And it's like way out of proportion long. And I think, and it could have been easily broken off a couple places in there. But he did it on purpose. I think the guys, it was the middle of the uh, 13th century, 1250, something somewhere in there, when they put the chapter numbers and verse numbers in the Bible. I think these guys did it on purpose. They made John 666 the most horrible verse in the Bible. It says, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 20,000 people. Shut up, Jesus, shut up. And they were fighting each other, and they left Jesus. <laughs> now think about this for a second. The answer to philosophy. Philosophy is a searching for truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. He's, so he's the answer to philosophy. The answer to religion. Religion is man's effort to get to God. Christianity, therefore, is not a religion by definition. Even though it is, it's not really a religion. Because in Christianity, God came to man. So it's not man's effort to get to God. God came to man. But the definition, the answer to religion, Jesus, these people say no. In essence, something crude came out of their mouths. Shut your face, Jesus. You're not God. And they walked away from him. Now, remember the disciples the day before. Basket right next to their chest, feed another 5,000. Jesus walking on water. Both these miracles are coming to bear now. Now you see why Mark 6 was written. Both these miracles are coming to bear now. Jesus turns to the 12, verse 67, and says, Are you guys going to leave also? <gasps> Now, 
hold on. I see things in Scripture differently than most people. <laughs> My brain's an enigma. Patrick said that on SpongeBob. See what I'm saying? So, so watch this now. Uh, uh, uh. The angels in heaven watching this scene who don't know the future see these 20,000 people leaving Jesus and they're screaming, Where are you going? And everything freezes. Now, there's going to be a half hour time period in the, uh, in the tribulation when it's all going to be quiet. I think this is a few-minute time period right here when everything got quiet. I just, I don't know, just a theory. Angels are sitting there, and Jesus says to the 12, you're not going to leave also, are you? <gasps> That's plan A. Plan A is Jesus pours into these 12, and then they go out and pour into other people. Plan A. There is no plan B. God could make a plan B, but there was no plan B in Scripture. Plan A, you're not going to leave also, are you? The miracle comes to play here now. Peter stands up. And what does he say there Verses, the next verses? Lord, where are we going to go? You've given us the words of eternal life. You've given us this book right here. You have given us... You've given us the book. You've given us the words of eternal life. We believe the most intimate Greek word in all of Greek language. The two most intimate Greek words in all of Greek language are pistuo, which is the word to believe, and gnosko, which is the intimate, very the, the most intimate word, I think, in the Greek language. It's like Adam knew Eve in the Hebrew. Adam knew Eve and gave birth to Seth. When they translate that into the Septuagint, it's the Greek language. The word they used there was gnosko. Adam, gnosko, Eve gave birth to Seth. It's the most intimate relationship on the planet. Adam knew he, so G, Peter says, we believe Pastuo, and we know that you're the Holy One of God. Boom, got it. <laughs> That's it, the entire Mark 6. We believe you're God. Here, let's translate it for the modern day vernacular. You guys are gonna leave also? Everyone else is leaving. Peter stands up and says, are you crazy? You've given us the word of life. We're not going to leave. You're God. Duh. You see, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. In a lot of people's lives, there's a line. I'll go this far for Jesus. <laughs> I'm stepping over the line. The decision has been made. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future, secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, positions, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal, heaven, my way rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, deluded, or delayed. 
I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate at the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder the pull of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. Until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. Preach till all know. Work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, and he will, we're closer today than we were yesterday. When he comes for his own, I want my banner to be clear. That's my boy, or that's my girl. In other words, to simplify what I just did, I believe he's God and I'm going to follow him. And I ain't going to stink and be some stinking sissy about it. I'm going to be a man or a woe man for the king of the universe. Now, we're polite in here. You're not going to shake your fist at me and scream and say, shut up, preacher, and walk out of here. But you still might walk out of here not completely surrendering everything you are to Christ. You still might do it. So I'm just going to turn to you and ask the same question. And this is our invitation time. And I'm going to pray first. No music. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you guys. No music. But that's okay. This is a weird invitation. But it's okay. Uh, there's a trap door. <laughs> just took me out. Okay, sorry. Um, we're an invitation. I'm going to ask you the question that Jesus asked the disciples. And here's what I want your response to be. If you're interested, I want to see maybe 12 guys and 12 ladies. So 24 is what I'm looking for, 24. To stand up and say, I believe that Jesus is God and I'm going to follow him. Out loud. You don't have to scream it. Just say it with some conviction. And then after you say it, sit back down. Now, I'm going to ask the question, and I'd like for you to stand up and say it one at a time, not a whole bunch of people at a time, like a herd instinct. All cows face the same direction on the side of the hill. Walk out one of them, looks, they all look. I'm not looking for a herd instinct here. Someone moves because somebody else moves. I'm looking for something that may be deep in your soul to answer the question like Peter did. Of course I'm going to follow you, your God. You guys understand all of Mark 6 now, don't you? Let me pray first, and then I'm going to ask you the question. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make this clear without confusion. Because there's some wars going on in this room right now. And really sense it. And I pray in Jesus' name that people would be set free from any bondages to sin and death. And would surrender all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the question. Are you going to leave also? And your response is to be standing up one at a time and saying out loud to the group, out loud, the number one fear in the country is public speaking, so I'm going to ask you to do the number one fear in the country, public speaking. I hope you're scared to death to do it, terrified. It's nowhere close to 20,000 people leaving, though, so it's not that hard, but it should be. So here's the question. Are you going to leave also? And your response, I want to be, if you're interested, I believe that Jesus Christ is God and I'm going to follow him. And then sit back down. Stand up and say it and then sit back down. Go.
I don't know what your name is, sir, but I need you to know that that's what Peter said. There's pretty much no difference between you and him. Are you a little bit shy, ma'am? No, not really. Okay. That's funny. Are you a little bit shy? Yes, yes, yes. You know what I do to shy people? Yes. For some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, I scare the fire out of them. I'm going. I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. My guys, they go ah. That's shy people. I don't. I scare them. But shy people can lead other shy people to Christ a lot better than I can. So you go, girl. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly what Peter said. Can you do me a favor? Can you stay standing and say, duh? <laughs> Anybody else? I've gone, uh, oh dear, I've gone five minutes over. I'm so sorry. How many sound guys will stand up and speak at a, at a, sound guys are like long snappers on the football field. Nobody ever notices them unless it's a bad snap. <laughs> Thank you, sound dude. Good job. Go ahead, sir. We got 10 seconds. Nine. These are evangelistic seconds. Eight. Wow. Seven. I just, this is weird. I'm not a mystical guy, but I just sensed. I'm just going to say it. I don't, I don't know if it's right or not. But I just sense the angels going, yes! I don't know who you are, but I think I've met you before. Amen, Lauren. Amen, Lauren. Are you with them? I know you. I knew you when you were like. <laughs> That's funny. 
That's why it's fun for me to preach this here. Because the disciples were just like that, but even the disciples were challenged. Just like you guys are going to get challenged. Hard. Like, like you were talking about, this week was hard. Six. Thanks for laughing at that. That's actually funny. Five. Anybody else? Anybody? Let's just do this. Anybody want to say it, but you're like terrified, but you, you just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If you wanted to say it, just go ahead. I'm... So you're very shy, and you're sitting next to the person who's not so shy. That's good. So that whole section there is just normal. Okay, good. <laughs> Anybody else, just raise your hand if you wanted to say it, but we didn't have enough time. Let's just raise your hand if you wanted to say it. Just raise your hand up. All of you guys, just raise your hands up. Okay, all of you raise your Stand up at the same time together. All of you raise your hands. Stand up at the same time. Hurry up. Stand up at the same time. Say, hurry up. Stand up at the same time. Those of you who raise your hands, say it out loud together. Ready, go. Say it again. Go. Say it one more time. Go. <laughs> we love you, Lord. You're the best. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for that challenge from God's word. Thank you, church family. Uh, I believe we are in the post-Mark 6 world. We're going to be challenged even more than we have been this past year to see if we really are disciples of the Lord Jesus. I, uh, I believe that, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you next week. I, I just believe God is going to do some great things through our church family, uh, and he'll get the glory for that. But we have a massive opportunity to point this community to Jesus, the bread of life. So we're going to go to our small groups now and uh, continue our study. If you uh, are joining me for our new members class, if you want to meet me right back here in the back corner, we'll kind of weave our way over to the room that we're going to be at. If you did not get a um, book, I have some more books. Please write your name in those so that we don't have to get two per person, only one. If you're on the safety team, I'm going to ask you, instead of just coming up here for sake of time, would you just stand up real quick? Our safety team, folks, just stand up so folks can see who you are. Some of them uh, are not here today because they're sick, so be praying for them. Thank you, thank you. You guys can have a seat. As you know, we have been uh, talking about what to do to, to help our church be safe. Uh, some of those things that we're going to have to do are, are items that haven't been budgeted, um, but it's a priority nonetheless to keep our children and preschoolers safe and us safe as we worship. So in the coming weeks, you'll be hearing about that. I'll try to keep you up to date. Uh, both in person and through uh, email so that you can be praying with us about those next steps. Um, let's see, anything else that I am forgetting? Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, Adrian has some books back here. Matter of fact, you want to go ahead and slip back there, and he'll be at the back. Please tell him thank you for coming today, and uh, grab a book of his if you would. Let's give him a hand. Brother, thank you so much. We will have you back soon, hopefully. Uh, stop by and uh, say hello to him and, and grab a book this morning on your way to small group. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you are the bread of life. Where would we go 
Where would we turn except to you, Jesus? Speak through our small group time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, thank you again for joining us today for a very special service. And, you know, we learn a lot from our study in the book of Mark. Uh, Awesome to read about who Jesus is and the power that he has in lives of people, your life and mine as well. Have you given your heart to the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord today? Uh, I'd love to know if you have. And if you want to get in touch with us and reach out, of course, you can do that through our website, hope at crossroads.org. One of the ways you can keep up with our messages from our church family is by subscribing to our podcast. You can find that on Apple Music uh, as well as Spotify. Just search for Hope at Crossroads and you'll find us right there. Hey, again, thanks for watching today. God bless you and come visit us soon.